I read The River of Grass for the first time lying on my back in a tent in the Everglades. That's Jack Davis, a professor of history at the University of Florida. The book he's talking about is a landmark history of the Everglades. It was written in 1947 by a woman named Marjorie Stoneman Douglas. And it was, as far as I'm concerned, the ideal place to, to read it. It was the winter time, which is one of the best times to be in the Everglades because the, the bird life is so conspicuous and so alive. And what I'm seeing outside my tent is, as I'm hiking around the Everglades is, are the very things that she was writing about in this book. For most Americans, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas is the name of the Parkland High School where there was a tragic shooting in 2018. But Douglas was a remarkable woman whose writing and activism changed how Floridians and Americans saw their natural environment. I caught up recently with Jack to learn more about Douglas, who moved to Florida from New York in 1915 when she was 25 years old. She was fleeing a bad marriage and hoping to get a job at her father's newspaper, the same one that would eventually become the Miami Herald. But I started our conversation by asking Jack what Florida was like when Douglas arrived there in 1915. Well, Florida was Miami, specifically, was around, the population was around 11,000 permanent residents. And it was already starting to become a, a tourist uh, attraction or tourist city because the railroad by that time was running all the way down the East Coast. And it was not a, a terribly attractive place physically in terms of the architecture and the layout of the city was not uh, appealing to her. But when she stepped off the train, she immediately felt at home. And it was because of the natural environment, particularly as she hmm. referred to it, uh, the white light of South hmm. Florida. Uh, and in nineteen in the nineteen twenties, it went through an urban land boom, and during the land boom era of of, of Florida, which was really equivalent to um, the gold rush of of the West, and uh, Miami continued to grow and it, it continued to evolve as, as she did, and she became very much a part of the community as a as a newspaper writer, and then a uh, story writer for fiction stories for. A story magazine such as the Saturday Evening Post. And uh, most of her stories, some 50 of them, were set in the South Florida region. And she, so she wrote about Florida and South Florida in particular uh, throughout the 20th century as it was growing leaps and bounds and, and changing on some, some level socially uh, and, and politically. And so she gets there uh, in that changing environment, um, and she's working as a newspaper columnist for the Herald, uh, her father's paper. What did that experience do to contribute to what she accomplished later in her life? Well, so here's the interesting thing about writing that, that column, which she did for some three years in, in the 1920s, is she was expected, even by her father, the editor, who, who was very progressive when it came to um, women's uh, rights uh, and, and, and equality, but he expected her to write 
uh, book reviews and poetry and maybe speak about uh, women's issues on occasion, uh, but not to get into uh, politics. But Marjorie Stoneman Douglas had her own mind. She's very much an independent woman, and she wrote about any damn thing she wanted to. Uh, And so when she was writing that column, she read a lot. She read widely. Uh, she read uh, science texts. She read political tracts. She read biographies. She read the, the classics, which is something she did the, the rest of her life. And, and then she wrote about uh, these things. And, uh, and so she learned to, I think, with that column, really to articulate her ideas quite clearly. Now, I, I gather that part of what came from that newspaper work was, um, I guess, a push towards her interest in environmental activism. Is that the case? That is indeed the case, yes. So she wrote on a wide range of subjects. She wrote on censorship. She wrote on prohibition, which she was adamantly opposed to. She wrote on women's suffrage actually before she was writing that column. She wrote on women's suffrage in in the newspaper. She wrote on men's uh, male and female relationships. And uh, and she wrote on the, the environment too. She would not have regarded herself as an environmentalist and certainly hmm. not someone of uh, of John Muir stature but she could write beautifully and when she was writing the column one of her biggest fans was a man by the name of Ernest Coe who uh, wanted to uh, create a national park in the Everglades and he came to her and asked her to join his campaign to be uh, their publicity person to write about uh, the Everglades and the idea of this national park and national publications and also, of course, in the Miami Herald. And that got her looking at the Everglades in, in a new way. Now, in 1947, Douglas published The Everglades, River of Grass, And in your work, you've described that as the green Bible of Florida's environmentalists. So what was she hoping to accomplish when she wrote that book? Well, I I think that changed as she started writing it. She initially Hmm. thought she was just going to write this history of the Everglades, and it was part of the Rivers of America series. And she was supposed to write about the Miami River. And But the Miami River was, as she always said, only an inch short and not worthy enough of a book in itself. And so she, the book ended up becoming a, a history, an environmental history of the Everglades. And ultimately, she wanted to bring attention to the plight of the Everglades. The Everglades had been under pressure from development since the late 19th century. And even before then, there had been plans to drain the Everglades and turn it into uh, productive farmlands. And some of that had happened. Uh, Agriculture had moved in and cities were growing larger and expanding into the Everglades. And she uh, really wanted to bring an end to that. She recognized when she was researching her book uh, something that probably only one other person did, and that was a scientist she consulted with, um, that the Everglades was this um, very large system, uh, interconnected system, that ranged from uh, Orlando all the way down to Florida Bay at the tip of the, the, the peninsula. And she called it a solar-powered system and that she was the person who recognized that the Everglades is not this uh, miasmic swamp 
um, but indeed a river, a flowing river. Mm. And, and that's where the name River of Grass comes from. This, the water uh, flows through not just sawgrass, but through various kinds of natural landscapes. One of the amazing things that I found in, in reading about her is she's an activist, she, she's aggressive, she's writing, she's very much in the public. And at the point when she's doing this, there are not that many women following in her footsteps. So what do you think gave her that kind of strength and persistence to, to put herself out there? I think she had the strength in, in persistence to be out in the public for a number of reasons. One is because she could speak very well in public, but she was also very well informed. She knew what she was talking mm. about. And when she knew she uh, had the knowledge at hand, she was never afraid of speaking about it. She was also a single woman. She was divorced, had some bad relationships with men, uh, and very much committed to women's rights. And she was always confident in, in herself as an individual. But at the same time, she recognized that being out there in the public was uh, that she was a woman being out there in the public. And uh, she's, she believed there was no, and she writes about this, even using this language, that there should be no separation in the spheres of, of, of men and women, um, it, it, particularly within the public. So even her work itself was a kind of activism. Her work itself was a form of activism, and that's what her newspaper column in the 1920s was. Let me give you a, just a quick line. This is evidence of her, both of humor, but but also her, her commitment to a particular cause. She's writing about, this is right after women have, have um, uh, won suffrage, and she's speaking in her column on male-female relationships. Quote, even the most ardent suffragists cannot deny that in gaining the ballot— Women have lost their most priceless prerogative, that of blaming the men for the whole works. <laughs> I, and I, I, wow. I, I, just, I just love that. And on politics, she wrote, <laughs> there are two sound arguments against politics. The first is that they keep so many men running who were obviously built to walk. And the second is that they are politics. Wow. And so she was able to build up this confidence in writing her column, uh, writing on these stories, starting to write books, uh, to speak in public. And, and again, as I said, she was uh, always very well informed. Now, Florida, um, and particularly Miami, changed a lot during the time that she lived there. I mean, I think she was 108 when she died. Is that correct? She died at 108, yes. Amazing. So that's a long span of time to spend in this place that she's so personally engaged with. As it changed, did her relationship with it change or did her work change? Her relationship changed with Florida uh, over her lifetime, uh, you know, or during the time that she lived in the state from 1915 to 1998. That's a long span of time. And Florida went through 
three growth spurts, major growth spurts during her lifetime. And she started out talking like a regionalist. Early on, she would talk about the necessity to preserve, to conserve, uh, to embrace a natural Florida, the native plants, for instance, the native landscape. But all of her words fell on deaf ears, and Florida just went about developing itself uh, any, uh, the way anybody wanted to develop it. And so by near the end of her life, she was no longer talking about conservation. She said, because we have nothing left to conserve. Mm. And now we have to restore it. And that was particularly true with the Everglades. Uh, by the end of her life, one half of the Everglades had been lost, mainly because of a comprehensive water management plan on the part of the Army Corps of Engineers. So we're obviously in the middle of a climate crisis. What do you think Marjorie Stoneman Douglas would say, were she around today, about the situation, about what's happening, about what is or isn't being done? What do what you think she would have to say to us? I'm pretty sure I know what she would say. Because she was saying the same thing since the 1940s when she wrote that book. Sea level rise impact on Florida is obviously a, a, a reality in mm -hmm. many forms. And one of those forms is not that it's, it'll take real estate away. The first thing that'll go is the infrastructure. And a part of that infrastructure is the stormwater systems, but also the fresh water supplies. And... Back in the 40s, when she was writing that book, scientists learned that the municipal wells of what is now Miami-Dade County were fouling with salt because the seawater was entering into the Biscayne Aquifer, which is recharged by the Everglades. And the reason why that was happening is because we were draining the Everglades and taking water out of the aquifer, fresh water out, and, and allowing salt water to come in. And that's what's happening today all over Florida in the Florida aquifer. And so she would have been stumping, calling for uh, the protection of, of the aquifer. She would have been uh, calling for the restoration of the living shoreline, the mangrove forest, which so much of the Everglades is or was, the coastal marshes and the seagrass beds and the oyster beds. They are our best defenses in Florida against sea level rise and, to, uh, and for protecting the Florida aquifer. That in conservation, of course, uh, conservation in the use of, of water. I was at a golf and country club uh, this weekend on Saturday, and this is a golf course that has embraced a, a, a green approach to living and recreation. They have reduced their water consumption from 40 million gallons a year to under 1 million gallons. And it was not painful, and it has been an economic benefit for them. And it's something that everybody celebrates. And Douglas would have been out there talking about these sort of solutions, which are easy and economically sensible. Jack Davis teaches history at the University of Florida. He's the author of An Everglades Providence, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas and the American Environmental Century, and The Gulf, The Making of an American Sea, 
which won the 2018 Pulitzer Prize for History. Thank you.